0: Section 5 of Ben the Luggage Boy, or Among the Wharves, by Horatio Alger, Jr. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tori Falder. Chapter 9. Scenes at the Newsboys' Lodging House. It will be unnecessary to give in detail the record of Ben's sales. He succeeded because he was in an earnest, and he was in earnest because his own experience in the early part of the day had revealed to him how uncomfortable it was to be without money or friends in a large city. At seven o'clock on counting over his money, he found that he had a dollar and 12 cents. Of this sum, he had received half a dollar from the friendly reporter to start him in business. This left 62 cents as his net profits for the afternoon's work. Ben felt proud of it, for it was the first money he had ever earned. His confidence came back to him, and he thought he saw his way clear to earning his own living. Although the reporter had not exacted repayment, Ben determined to lay aside 50 cents for that purpose. Of the remaining 62, a part must be saved as a fund for the purchase of papers the next morning. Probably 30 cents would be sufficient for this, as, after selling out those first purchased, he would have money for a new supply. This would leave him 32 cents to pay for his supper, lodging, and breakfast. Ben would not have seen his way to accomplish all this for so small a sum if he had not been told that at the Newsboys Lodge the regular charge was 6 cents for each meal, and the same for lodging. This would make but 18 cents, leaving him a surplus of 14. On inquiry, however, he ascertained that it was already past the hour for supper at the lodge, and therefore went into the restaurant on Fulton Street, where he ordered a cup of coffee and a plate of tea biscuit. These cost 10 cents. Finding his appetite still unsatisfied, he ordered another plate of biscuit, which carried up the expense of his supper to 15 cents. This left 17 cents for lodging and breakfast. After supper, he went out into the street once more and walked about for some time until he began to feel tired when he turned his steps toward the Newsboys' Lodge. This institution occupied at that time the two upper stories of the building at the corner of Nassau and Fulton Streets. On the first floor was the office of the Daily Sun. The entrance to the lodge was on Fulton Street, Ben went up a steep and narrow staircase and kept mounting up until he reached the sixth floor. Here to the left he saw a door partially opened, through which he could see a considerable number of boys, whose appearance indicated that they belonged to the class known as street boys. He pushed the door open and entered. He found himself in a spacious but low-studded apartment, abundantly lighted by rows of windows on two sides. At the end nearest the door was a raised platform, on which stood a small melodeon which was used at the Sunday evening meetings. There were rows of benches in the center of the apartment for the boys. A stout, pleasant-looking man, who proved to be Mr. O'Connor, the superintendent, advanced to meet Ben, whom he at once recognized as a newcomer. "'Is this the Newsboys' Lodge?' asked Ben. "'Yes,' said the superintendent. "'Do you wish to stop with us?' "'I should like to sleep here tonight,' said Ben. "'You are quite welcome.' "'How much do you charge?' "'Our charge is six cents.' "'Here is the money,' said Ben, drawing it from his vest pocket. "'What is your name?' "'Benjamin.' "'And your other name?' "'Brandon,' answered Ben with some hesitation. "'What do you do for a living? "'I am selling papers. "'Well, we will assign you a bed.' "'Where are the beds?' asked Ben, looking about him. "'They are on the floor below. "'Any of the boys will go down and show you "'when you get ready to retire.' "'Can I get breakfast here in the morning?' inquired Ben. "'Certainly. We charge the same as for lodging.' Ben handed over six cents additional and congratulated himself that he was not as badly off as the night before." "'being sure of a comfortable bed and a breakfast in the morning. "'What are those for?' he asked, pointing to a row of drawers or lockers "'on the sides of the apartment near the floor. "'Boys who have any extra clothing or any articles which they value "'are allowed to use them. "'Here they are safe, as they can be locked. "'We will assign you one if you wish.' "'I have nothing to put away,' said Ben. "'I had a little bundle of clothes, but they were stolen from me "'while I was lying asleep on a bench in the City Hall Park. "'I suppose you don't know who took them?' "'No,' said Ben, "'but I think it was some of the boys that were blacking boots near me. "'That boy's got one of them on,' he said, "'suddenly in an excited tone, "'pointing out Mike, the younger of the two boys "'who had appropriated his bundle. "'Mike had locked up his own shirt, "'which was considerably the worse for wear, "'and put on Ben's, "'which gave him a decidedly neater appearance than before. "'He had thought himself perfectly safe in doing so, "'not dreaming that he would be brought face to face "'with the true owner in the lodge. "'What makes you think it is yours?' asked Mr. O'Connor. It is cut like mine, said Ben. Besides, I remember getting a large spot of ink on one of the sleeves, which would not wash out. There it is, on the left arm. As Ben had said, there was a faint bluish spot on the sleeve of the shirt. This made Ben's story a plausible one, though not conclusive. The superintendent decided to inquire of Mike about the matter and see what explanation he could give. Mike Rafferty, he said, in a tone of authority. Come here, I want you. Mike came forward, but when he saw Ben, whom he recognized, he felt a little taken aback. But he had not been brought up in the streets for nothing. His embarrassment was only momentary. He determined to brazen it out and swear, if anything was said about the shirt, that it was his own lawful property. I see you've got a new shirt on, Mike, said Mr. O'Connor. Yes, sir, said Mike. Where did you get it? Where would I get it, said Mike. I bought it yesterday. Where did you buy it? Round in Baxter Street, said Mike confidently. It is a pretty good shirt for Baxter Street, remarked Mr. O'Connor. How much did you pay for it? Fifty cents, answered Mike glibly. This may all be true, Mike, said the superintendent, but I am not certain about it. This boy here says it is his shirt, and he thinks that you stole it from him while he was lying asleep in City Hall Park yesterday. It's a lie he's telling, sir, said Mike. I never seen him afore." Here seemed to be a conflict of evidence. Of the two, Ben seemed the more likely to tell the truth. Still, it was possible that he might be mistaken, and Mike might be right after all. "'Have you any other proof that the shirt is yours?' asked Mr. O'Connor, turning to Ben. "'Yes,' said Ben. "'My name is marked on the shirt, just below the waist. "'We can settle the matter quickly, then. "'Mike, pull out the shirt so that we can see it.' Mike made some objection, which was quickly overruled. The shirt being examined bore the name of Benj Brandon, just as Ben had said. "'The shirt is yours,' said the superintendent to Ben. "'Now, Mike, what did you mean by telling me that lie?' "'It was bad enough to steal without adding a lie besides. "'I bought the shirt in Baxter Street,' persisted Mike unblushingly. "'Then how do you account for his name on it?' "'Maybe he sold it to the man I bought it of.' "'I didn't sell it at all,' said Ben. "'Was that all you had taken?' "'No,' said Ben. "'There was another shirt besides. "'Do you know anything about it, Mike?' "'No, I don't,' said Mike. "'I don't know whether you are telling the truth or not,' said the superintendent. "'But at any rate, you must take this off and give it to the right owner.' "'And will he pay me the 50 cents?' asked Mike. "'I don't think you bought it at all. "'But if you did, you can prove it by the man you bought it of. "'If you can do that, I will see that the money is refunded to you.'" There was one strong reason for discrediting Mike's story. These Baxter Street shops are often the receptacles of stolen goods. As their identification might bring the dealers into trouble, they are very careful, as soon as an article comes into their possession, to obliterate all the marks of former ownership it was hardly likely that they would suffer a shirt to go out of their hands so plainly marked as was the case in the present instance. Mr. O'Connor, of course, knew this, and, accordingly, had very little fear that he was doing injustice to Mike and ordering him to make restitution to Ben. Mike was forced, considerably against his will, to take off the new shirt and put on his old ragged one, but the former was no longer as clean as formerly. "'Where can I get it washed?' asked Ben." "'You can wash it yourself in the washroom, or you can carry it to a laundry, as some of the boys do, if you are willing to pay for it.' "'I think I would rather carry it to a laundry,' said Ben, who doubted strongly his ability to wash the shirt so as to improve its appearance. The superintendent accordingly gave him the direction to one of these establishments. Opposite the room which he had entered was a smaller room used by the boys as a gymnasium. Ben looked into it and determined to use it on some future occasion.' He next went into the washroom. Here he saw two or three boys stripped to the waist, engaged in washing out their shirts. Being provided with but a single one each, they left them to dry overnight while they were in bed and could dispense with them. Ben wondered how they managed about ironing them, but he soon found that with these amateur laundresses, ironing was not considered necessary. They are put on rough dry in the morning and so worn until they are considered dirty enough for another purification. Ben looked about him with interest. The boys were chatting in an animated manner, detailing their experiences during the day, or chaffing each other in a style peculiar to themselves. "'Say, Jim,' said one, "'didn't I see you at the Grand Opera last night?' "'Yes, of course you did,' said Jim. "'I was in a private box along with the mayor. I had a diamond pin in the bosom of my shirt. Yes, I seed you through my opera glass. What have you done with your diamond pin? Do you think I'd bring it here to be stole?' "'No, I keep it in my safe along of my other valuables.' Ben listened in amusement and thought that Jim would have cut rather a singular figure in the mayor's box. Several boys who had gone barefoot were washing their feet, that being required previous to going to bed. This is necessary, otherwise the clean bedclothes would be soiled as to require daily washing. The boys seemed to be having a good time, and then, though he was unacquainted with any of them, felt that it was much pleasanter to be here in a social atmosphere than wandering around by himself in the dark and lonely streets he observed one thing with surprise that the boys refrained from profane or vulgar speech though they were by no means so particular in the street during the day this is however a rule strictly enforced by the superintendent and if not complied with the offender is denied the privilege of the lodging house after a while ben expressed a desire to go to bed and in company with one of the boys descended to a room equally large in the story below where over a hundred single beds were arranged in tiers, in a manner very similar to the berths of a steamboat. Ben was agreeably surprised by the neat and comfortable appearance of these beds. He felt that he should be nearly as well provided for as at home. Quickly undressing himself, he jumped into the bed assigned him, and in a few minutes was fast asleep. Chapter 10. Further Experiences Ben had a comfortable night's sleep, and when he awoke in the morning, he felt that a bed at the Newsboys' lodge was considerably better than a bale of cotton or a hay barge. At an early hour in the morning, the boys were called and began to tumble out in all directions, interchanging as they performed their hasty toilet, a running fire of chaff and good-humored jesting, some of which consisted of personal allusions to the reverse of complimentary. Many of the boys stopped to breakfast, but not all. Some wanted to get to work earlier, and took breakfast at a later hour at some cheap restaurant, earning it before they ate it. Ben, however, had paid for his breakfast in advance, knowing that he could not get it so cheap elsewhere, and so waited to partake of it. He took his place at a long table with his companions, and found himself served with a bowl of coffee and a generous slice of bread. Sometimes, but not always, a little cold meat is supplied in addition, but even when there is bread only the coffee warms the stomach and so strengthens the boys for their labors outside the breakfast was not as varied of course as ben had been accustomed to at home nor as tempting as my young readers have spread before them every morning but it was good of its kind and ben ate it with unusual relish when he had finished his meal he prepared to go out to work not however till the superintendent whose recollection of individual boys is surprising considering the large number who frequent the lodging-house in the course of a year had invited him to come again. The lodging house, though it cannot supply the place of a private home, steps between hundreds of boys in complete vagabondage, into which, but for its existence, they would quickly lapse. Probably no money is more wisely expended than that which enables the Children's Aid Society of New York to maintain this and kindred institutions. Ben had, after breakfast, 85 cents to commence the day on. But of this sum it will be remembered he had reserved fifty cents to pay the friendly reporter for his loan this left him a working capital of thirty-five cents it was not a large sum to do business on but it was enough and with it ben felt quite independent in front of the times office ben met rough and ready the newsboy who had taken his part the day before he had got the start of ben and was just disposing of his only remaining paper how are you asked ben so's to be around answered the other what are you up to I'm going to buy some papers. I have sold eight already. Where did you sleep last night? At the lodging house. How do you like it? It's a good place and very cheap. Yes, it's a bully place. I'd go there myself if it wasn't for Mother and Rose. It's enough sight better than our room on Leonard Street, but I can't leave my mother and sister. If you're going to buy some more papers, I'd like to go with you. All right, come ahead. Ben invested his money under the direction of his companion. By his advice, he purchased nearly to the amount of his entire capital. "'knowing that it would come back to him again "'so that his plan for paying the reporter "'could still be carried out. "'You can stand near me if you want to, Ben,' "'said Rough and Ready. "'I'm afraid I shall interfere with your trade,' "'answered Ben. "'Don't be afraid of that. "'I don't ask no favors. "'I can get my share of business.' "'Ben, while engaged in selling papers himself, "'had an opportunity to watch the ready tact "'with which Rough and Ready adapted himself "'to the different persons whom he encountered. "'He succeeded in effecting a sale "'in many cases where others would have failed.' He had sold all his papers before Ben had disposed of two-thirds of his, though both began with an equal number. "'Here, Ben,' he said generously. "'Give me three of your papers. I'll sell them for you.' By this friendly help, Ben found himself shortly empty-handed. "'Shall I buy any more?' he inquired of his companion. "'It's getting late for morning papers,' said Rough and Ready. "'You'd better wait till the evening papers come out. "'How much money have you made?' Ben counted over his money and answered. "'I've made thirty-five cents. "'Well, that'll be more than enough to buy your dinner.' How much do you make in a day? Asked Ben. sometimes over a dollar. You ought to lay up money then rough and ready shook his head. I have to pay everything over to my mother. He said it's little enough to support a family. Doesn't your father earn anything? My stepfather repeated the other emphasizing the first syllable. No he doesn't earn much and what he does earn he spends for rum. We could do a great deal better without him. He continued. Ben began to see that he had a much easier task before him in supporting himself than his new friend in supplying the wants of a family of four. For Mr. Martin, his stepfather, did not scruple to live partially on the earnings of his stepson, whose industry should have put him to shame. I guess I'll go home a little while, said Rough and Ready. I'll see you again this afternoon. Left to himself, Ben began to walk around with an entirely different feeling from that which he experienced the day before. He had one dollar and twenty cents in his pocket, not all of it his own, but the greater part of it his own earnings. Only 24 hours before, his prospects seemed very dark. Now he had found friends, and he had also learned how to help himself. As he was walking down Nassau Street, he suddenly espied a little distance ahead the reporter, who had done him such an important service the day before. He quickened his pace and speedily came up with him. "'Good morning,' said he, by way of calling the reporter's attention. Good morning, responded the reporter, not at first recognizing him. I'm ready to pay the money you lent me yesterday, said Ben. Oh, you're the boy I set up in business yesterday. Well, how have you made out? Pretty well, said Ben with satisfaction. Here's the money you lent me, and he drew out 50 cents and offered it to the young man. But have you got any money left, inquired the reporter. Ben displayed the remainder of his money, mentioning the amount. You succeeded capitally. Where did you sleep last night? At the newsboy's lodge. "'That's better than sleeping out. "'I begin to think, my young friend, "'you must have a decided business talent. "'It isn't often a new boy succeeds so well.' "'Ben was pleased with this compliment, "'and made a new offer of the money, "'which the young man had not yet taken. "'I don't know as I had better take this money,' "'said the reporter. "'You may need it.' "'No,' said Ben. "'I've got enough to keep me along. "'You've got to get dinner. "'That won't cost me more than twenty-five cents. "'Then I shall have forty-five to buy papers this afternoon.' Well, said the young man, if you don't need it, I will take it, but on one condition. What is that? asked Ben. That if you get hard up at any time, you will come to me and I will help you out. Thank you, said Ben gratefully. You are very kind. I know that you boys are apt to have hard times, but if you work faithfully and don't form any bad habits, I think you will get along. Here is my card and directions for finding me if you need any assistance at any time. Ben took the card and went on his way, feeling more glad that he had paid his debt than if the money were still in his possession. He felt that it was a partial atonement for the theft which he had nearly committed the day before. As he walked along, thinking of what he had just done, he suddenly found himself shoved violently off the sidewalk. Looking angrily to see who was the aggressor, he recognized Mike Rafferty, who had been detected the night before in wearing his stolen shirt. "'What's that for?' demanded Ben angrily." It's to teach you better manners, you spalpeen, said Mike. Ben returned the blow with spirit. That's to teach you not to steal my shirt again, he said. It's a lie, said Mike. I bought it of the man you sold it to. You know better, retorted Ben. You took it while I was asleep in the park. Mike was about to retaliate with another blow when the sight of an approaching policeman warned him of peril and he retreated in good order, sending back looks of defiance at our hero, whom he could not forgive for having proved him guilty of theft. Ben's exploration of the city had thus far been very limited. He had heard of the battery, and he determined to go down there. The distance was not great, and in a few minutes he found himself at the lower end of the Manhattan Island, looking with interest at the shores across the river. Here was Castle Garden, a large structure now used for recently arrived emigrants, but once the scene of one of Jenny Lynn's triumphs. Now it would seem very strange to have a grand concert given in such a building and in such a locality. However, Ben knew nothing of the purposes of the building and looked at it ignorantly. The battery, he thought, might once have been pretty, but now the grass has been worn off by pedestrians and the once fashionable houses in the neighborhood have long ago been deserted by their original proprietors and been turned into warehouses or cheap boarding houses. After looking about a little, Ben turned to go back. He began to feel hungry and thought he might as well get some dinner. After that was eaten, it would be time for the evening papers. He was intending to go back to Fulton Street, but his attention was drawn to a restaurant by the Bill's of fare exposed outside. A brief examination satisfied him that the prices were quite as moderate as in Fulton Street, and he decided to enter and take his dinner here. End of Section 5. Recording by Tori Falder.